Welcome to the Cruciform Life Church podcast, featuring the weekly sermons from our Sunday gathering. Please visit us online at www.cruciformlifechurch.org for more information. We are back to this short series that we have on the sovereignty of God to in our election. This is basically what we have been talking about. And God must be sovereign in our salvation because in the first place we started this series saying that we are totally depraved and that there is no way for us to come to believe unless God works. And we we also looked at unconditional election where we affirmed from the scripture that when God chose us, it was not because of us. In fact, it was despite of us. And then last time we were talking about limited atonement. I think it is a hard teaching to accept. Nonetheless, we find that in the scripture that Jesus died for his own. And today we'll be looking at irresistible grace. Uh, specifically, we will highlight later on on the necessity and efficacy of regeneration. And what we're saying when we say that one is that unless one is born again, uh, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And up until today, since then up until today, uh, the argument has always been this faith precedes regeneration or regeneration precedes faith. Were you uh, born again and that explains that you believe or you believed and that explains that God, uh, you know, made you alive or that you have been born of God? We will be looking at that today, but having looked at our title, Irresistible Grace, we believe that regeneration precedes faith. I want to start by quoting John Frame today. John Frame wrote, and clearly this is his comment on John chapter 3 pertaining to the work of regeneration, pertaining to the Holy Spirit regenerating those whom God has called. Here's what John Frame wrote a very good systematic theologian from Reform from Reform Theological Seminary. He wrote, How would you know whether someone is born again? It is not visible. Jesus says that the regenerating work of the Spirit is like the blowing of the wind. You do not see it. You do not know where it comes from or where it goes. But there's the wind. You can see the results, though you cannot be infallibly sure that regeneration has has taken place. Faith and good works are effects. Look at that. Faith, together with good works, are effects of regeneration. And they show that we have been born of God. Uh, In other words, John Frayne is... Affirming that unless God first make you alive through the Holy Spirit, you cannot believe nor you can change. 
in spite of the signs that Jesus already displayed. Nicodemus, who saw the signs, you read that one in John chapter 3 and verse 2, who saw the signs that Jesus performed, and also his knowledge of the scripture, for he was a teacher, could not understand what spiritual birth is. And by the way, later on we see that Jesus was pointing to um, regeneration as earthly. Earthly in a sense that it happened while we are here. Earthly in a sense that it is not something that will happen in the future. It's happening here where we are. Now, more so that, that Nicodemus later on would not understand the consummation of redemption, the consummation of salvation, and especially that the whole salvation, that the whole salvation was made possible by the humiliation of Christ. Now that is counterintuitive. We already saw Paul saying that a salvation who died on the cross is a stumbling block, foolishness. He asked two questions. He asked two questions that revealed his ignorance on things pertaining to salvation. Or by the way, the kingdom of God here in the book of John is used by John only in chapter 3. There's two times here in chapter 3, the kingdom of God. This is the only place that John used the expression. The other writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, they use that expression a lot, but not John, which is actually synonymous to eternal life in the book of John. He did not understand it. He asked in verse 4, when Jesus says, unless one is born again, he said, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And when Jesus explained regeneration or being born again. Again, Nicodemus asked in verse 9, how can these things be? It is a picture of one who does not have any idea at all of what Jesus was trying to explain to him, though he was a teacher of the law. We understand then that unless one is born again, Unless one is born again or regenerated, I will use those terms today um, interchangeably because they mean one and the same thing. So if you hear me saying regeneration and you, you are lost of what I'm talking about, I'm just, I'm, what I mean by that is being born again. He cannot understand redemption. He cannot understand more especially that redemption is made possible through humiliation, through the cross of Calvary. So here's my big idea this morning. God, uh, through the Holy Spirit, must regenerate those whom Christ died if they are to understand and believe that the fullness of redemption is made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. God must regenerate us. God must bring us to life. 
for we are dead. God must do the miracle of bringing life into our hearts. So let us start by pointing from the passage that man could not understand spiritual things. Man left on his own could not understand spiritual things. No. In all of the claim of people to have known the truth because they have studied apart from the work of the Holy Spirit, no one truly understands. I'm not here knowing Jesus because I am a pastor and I studied every day. Jesus has begun displaying the signs that he was the word who was from the beginning, was with God and was God and became flesh and dwelt among us. He performed miracles to prove his claim. And Jesus has always claimed to be God in the flesh and who came to save his people. Think about that at this point. It was controversial. And why wouldn't it be controversial when Jesus just uh, spoke things and, and the deceased people were healed? Why would not it be, why wouldn't it be controversial when Jesus touched a buyer and then the dead youth came out of the coffin? It was quite controversial and somehow people are beginning to make their opinion. Our opinions upon Jesus. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. And we're told in verse 1. A ruler of the Jews. A Pharisee and a ruler of the Jews. Could not stay away from this issue. uh, But also find himself seeking to know. What was Jesus' message? What is Jesus trying to tell people? He was sure that Jesus was from God. According to verse 2, because he said, unless you are from God, no one can do these miracles. He, He was sure that Jesus was from God, but what is the gospel that Jesus is teaching? Who is Jesus? On that, on those questions, he was quite unsure. And to wait and see was not enough for him, clearly. He had been clearly interested to know what Jesus was really trying to say. What was the gospel that he was teaching? And he kept himself, although he was a Pharisee, and he knew exactly that by going to Jesus would have some consequences from his fellow Pharisees. He went to Jesus. It's probably why he came to Jesus by night. Now, very strange, because what Nicodemus did, seeking to find an answer of something that he was a teacher, that as a teacher of the law, he should have known. And to be fair with Nicodemus, what he did here resembles like of that of a humility. Or... If not, a growing desire to know Christ. To know who this Jesus is. And Jesus, who knew what was in Nicodemus, we are just told in John chapter 2, 25 before chapter 3, 
that he knew what was in that. He knew what was why Nicodemus came to him in the first place. Nicodemus seemed to be unsettled. Think about it. This is this is lamentable. This is sad. A teacher of the law, but he was unsettled. He probably could not be sure of how one to be saved. How one can be saved. If Dave Carson is right in saying that the kingdom of God was used by God synonymously to eternal life in the book of John, his favorite phrase to use is eternal life rather than kingdom of God. Then we understand that Nicodemus, through the answer of Jesus, came to know how one could be saved. It's like a pastor who is unsure of what salvation is. Sad. And the rest of Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus is quite revealing. Jesus was no, uh, sorry, Nicodemus was no ordinary visitor of Jesus. He was a teacher of the law. He was a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strictest religion. They were not the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the liberals. He was a ruler of the synagogue. He was a man known to be a man of God, probably in his time. Surely he understood a thing or two when it comes to spiritual things. Surely. Yet his ignorance of the word was exposed. But on the other hand, as I've said, these unassuming questions is something we should learn and follow, isn't it? After Jesus told him that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God, there is no pretension in his responses. If I was Nicodemus and I was known to be a teacher of the word, I may have questions in my heart, but I do not know if I will ask it. I'm supposed to know them. But he asked in verse 4, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? And when Jesus again explained what does it mean to be born again, his next question is how can these things be? These are pure and honest questions. In other words, he was really clueless. He did not really know. And if this is another Juan de la Cruz, it might, not have, it might not tell a lot. But Nicodemus was a teacher of the word of God and yet was clueless when it comes to spiritual things. He was clueless about regeneration. He was clueless about being born again. He was clueless about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because there is a truth. There is a truth. That John wanted to tell us here. Here's the truth. If Nicodemus, who was already a teacher of God's word, could not understand spiritual things, how much more than ordinary people? It's exactly why Jesus said, are you the teacher of the law? 
And you could not understand these things. In a subtle yet sweeping way, John is saying that man in and of himself could not understand spiritual things. Here is the best theologian, or at least coming from the best theologians of their time, and yet he he was clueless about spiritual things. John is building up what he already said in his introduction, that the light came, or that the Son of God came as a light. But the people, even the Jewish people, did not receive him. And again, he would say that unless the Father draws him, no one comes to Jesus. Jesus certainly taught the truth that man does not have the capacity to understand the truths of God. Again, listen to his answer to Nicodemus. In verse 10 to 12. Are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I speak to you of what we know. And bear witness to what we have seen. But you do not receive our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? I have something that would... I've told you something that had happened here on earth, your regeneration, but you could not understand how much more the other things about redemption, which is yet to come. Ponder these words of Jesus. And you will realize that Jesus is somewhat teaching that man does not have the ability to understand of belief. In fact, he already essentially said that when he said, Unless one is born again. Because you're dead. As one is born again. You cannot understand salvation. This should lead us to our second point. Man needs regeneration to understand spiritual things. If we could not understand. If we are hopeless in and of ourselves. Man needs regeneration to understand spiritual things. This is what beautiful of this text. Because of this work of regeneration. And like other teachers who might go around the bush, Jesus directly addressed the root of the problem. Probably if some would teach this one, he would probably say just, Keep on reading and and finally you will arrive at the truth. You are a a scholar. You are a teacher of the law. And I'm sure you have a good study habit. Just keep on moving and you will finally see the truth. No, Jesus was so straightforward and said, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And before we talk about what does it mean to be born again? Notice the necessity of being born again. Jesus says, unless. Unless means there is no other way. Especially if you take note that Jesus first said, truly, truly. Truly, truly, unless. Unless one is born again. Nicodemus is a fitting example to what's happening here. 
He had knowledge of the scripture. He had been seeking to abide the rules of his religion. He was, I believe, a really decent man at the time. One that when someone is seeing, one could make a conclusion that this man should have known God. But he was not yet born again. Thus, he was so dull to understand spiritual things. Which makes us realize that no one is more dead than the others. No one is more dead than the others. Though he never clearly was a problem in in his society. Nicodemus needed to be born spiritually as he was as dead as the criminals of his time. And looking at that case of Nicodemus, it is safe to say that that regeneration, as theologians would say, is the sine qua non, the absolute necessity. It's absolutely necessary if one should understand the gospel. Nicodemus was clearly lost, right? He was clearly lost and was not able to follow what Jesus was saying. Again, his question is, how can this be? And like a child who never really get to understand what is being said, he took it really literally and thought, so I have to get back into my mother's womb. This is the best that a good theologian can come up Clearly, Jesus felt like, okay, I need to explain. Verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear it sound. It blows your hair. But you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And Jesus thought it was necessary for him to explain this to Nicodemus. Remember, Jesus is not saying that one... Unless one is born again, he cannot do the next step towards being part of the kingdom. That's not what Jesus says here. It is being born again, if you look at it, it is almost equals to salvation. It is the door to the kingdom. It is like the the eyes of the blind was opened so that when his eyes were opened, he sees. What then does being born again means or mean? Now, verse 6 explains two births, physical and spiritual. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's physical birth. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. But notice carefully that verse 5 does not explain that one should be born physically and, and the other Spiritually. Verse 5 explains spiritual verse. Born of water and the spirit. 
refers to one and the same thing, and it refers to the cleansing to a new life, a quickening of the spirit to a new life, a bringing of the dead to life. That's what it means. John the Baptist made clear already that his baptism of water is just a metaphor metaphor pointing to the substance. And the substance, the same as the substance of our baptism today, the baptism of John is pointing to the substance, and that is the baptism of Jesus. And we know that John says that the baptism of Jesus is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. His is the substance. Jesus is the real thing. Well, that's a good metaphor because from the ancient times to our time today, water always symbolized cleansing. Anyone who did not take a bath this morning? I'm pretty sure you used water when you tried to cleanse yourself. And this expression, born of the Spirit, if you look at the scriptural reference that Jesus used, we can find this in Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. I like that because in Ezekiel 36, uh, we will find a very good picture of what regeneration is. But let me start reading verse 22. Ezekiel 36, verses 22 to 27. This is God's solution to the hardened heart of his people Israel. Verse 22. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name which has been profaned among the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. So that's, that's a beautiful thing that God, it's like a disclaimer by God before he would say what he would be doing. And the disclaimer is saying that I'm going to do this not because you're good, but because of my holy name, which makes us realize that we talk about regeneration, it is really sovereign because even the reason why God did this one is for his holy name. Verse 24, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water in you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. It speaks of the gospel of Christ, which is set as the foundation of regeneration and all redemption in that matter. All, all things about redemption in that matter. From all your idols, I will cleanse you. Verse 26. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Cleansed to a new life is the promise of the new covenant. 
because of the sacrifice of Christ, the basis of regeneration, God will change our hearts from dead to spiritually alive. Now, notice carefully, the flesh, we always see in Scripture that when we talk about flesh, especially in the New Testament, it refers to our sinfulness. But that is not the case here. Flesh here is used to point to that which is life in contrast to that which have no life, a stone. So it is right then that regeneration is sometimes, sometimes explained as a quickening of a dead person's life. It is animating spiritually dead person's life. It is like Jesus telling Lazarus, who was dead, come out Lazarus. It's basically bringing a dead person to life. Now, this is a beautiful illustration, but in a sense that this is a fairy tale. But, you know, there are some fairy tales that we watch where a fairy would put a spell on a statue and the statue would come to life. Right? And the statue has come to Bad illustration. But I hope it, it captures. But I hope it captures in your mind what I'm trying to, or what this text is trying to tell us. That we are dead. We, God did not put a spell on us. Um, it was through the Holy Spirit that we are a dead statue. A dead stone. Incapable of loving God, incapable of being affected, even of the greatest love that has ever been displayed. Incapable of responding to the goodness of God. Incapable of believing the sacrifice of Christ in the cross of Calvary. We are dead stones. But God animated us. God regenerated us. God made us alive through the Holy Spirit. So being born again or regenerated then means first that our hearts are quickened. Our inner person was quickened so that we are enabled to respond to the love and goodness of God. To respond to the gospel of Christ. Secondly, Regeneration means we are quickened to live a new life. Notice that, that in that passage, we are also said that the Spirit of God is made to dwell in us so that we can obey the laws of God. Jesus was telling Nicodemus that this quickening, this regenerating work of the Holy Spirit, this animating work of the Holy Spirit, or simply spiritual birth must happen first if anyone should see the kingdom of God or have eternal life. You don't have to be the most hardened criminal. You don't have to be the most hardened menace in the society. You don't have to be a robber. You don't have to be a rapist. You don't have to do all this heinous criminal. Even if you are as decent as Nicodemus, even if you are one who studies the scripture every day, the Bible says we are dead in our sins and we are incapable of 
responding rightly to any kind of love that God would show us if the Holy Spirit will not work in our hearts. And Jesus continued in verses 7 to 8 to explain somehow on the nature of regeneration. And Jesus is trying to imply that when it comes to your regeneration, you do not have to understand everything except that you will acknowledge that it is because of the power of God and you see its effect on you. And before I would look at that, it's a good question for you to ask yourself, have I been regenerated? Has the Holy Spirit worked in my heart? What Jesus is essentially saying in verse 7 is that the mystery of regeneration, there's so much in the regeneration that God did, does not explain to us. Because if he would, you could not understand still. But the mystery of regeneration, as far as verse 7 is concerned, Jesus is trying to tell us, should not make us fall into unbelief. That's Jesus' point when he said, do not marvel. Do not marvel. Do not come to a point where because you do not understand these things, you will choose not to believe on these things. Because he explained in verse 8 that the nature of it, for the most part, is something that we will never understand. Look at what he said in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes. Clearly this is an illustration. And you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. What is the illustration all about? He said, so it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Anyone here who saw that the Holy Spirit is coming and you know that and you invited the Holy Spirit, come, I see you and you, I know you're coming to regenerate me. Um, if you, if that happened to you, um, I think you're in the wrong place. Like the wind, which in our vantage point would blow wherever it wishes, wherever it wishes. We surely do hope that we control the wind, don't we? Um, I remember April this year, May this year, and I and our, my children, we are studying in our dining room, and it's so humid. And you would have hoped that I could control the wind, send the wind here so that, you know, it can lessen that humidity. But you just don't control the wind. And, and in those times that there, there's a typhoon, strong storm, you would have hoped that you are in control of the wind so you can send it somewhere. But the truth of the matter, you just don't control the wind. In his sovereignty, the Holy Spirit will quicken someone to spiritual life without informing one of what he is about to do. He has the freedom to quicken the ones whom God has chosen to eternal life in accordance to the will of God. He does not need anyone's permission. Uh, it, it surely does not let us know or let us see what he is doing. He is God. He does whatever he pleases. However, 
Well, we could not see the operation of the Holy Spirit. And what exactly did the Holy Spirit do so that we begin to have that spiritual life? We see its effect. We see its effect. We see signs of life. Like a doctor who first who hears the first cry of a baby as a sign of life, we see signs of life. We see the new convictions that we have for a holy life. I remember I was I was an alcoholic. It was a vice. I love what I'm doing. And no one is actually rebuking me that it's wrong. But when I got born again and I start I, I still drink drunk for over a year, I felt like I was the worst person. There were new convictions to a holy life. We decide we we have new desires to know God's word. We're so excited. Maybe before, if you talk about Sunday, it's it's a rest day. And it's a time of the week where I can sleep until 12. But suddenly you are up at 6 a.m. You are up at 5 a.m. You're so excited. This morning I thank God that there is Sunday. Just thanking God. Just beautiful Lord. There is Sunday. You separated a day for your people to gather together in worship. We see our struggles to say no to temptations. But before any of these signs of life, our confession that Jesus is Lord and Savior is like the first cry of a baby. It's, it's like the first sign of life. You see, these things are but effects of the regenerating work of the Holy Spirit. They did not cause us to be regenerated. They are effects of our regeneration. So faith, as one of the effects of our regeneration, is a result of our regeneration, not the cause of our regeneration. Regeneration precedes faith, not faith precedes regeneration. It is linear. It is the order of salvation. You have to be regenerated first before you can believe and justify it. It is not a circular motion. It is not like the circular argument between the chicken and the egg. Where till kingdom come you will continue to talk about it if you are an evolutionist. But if you are a creationist you understand that the chicken comes first. But we always do that. Which is. Which come first, egg or chicken, and we keep on coming back. Regeneration and faith, this is not a circular thing. Which comes first, faith, if you can say faith and you can say regeneration, it's one and the same thing. No, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. This leads us to our third point with regards to this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. The conversation revolves around the failure of Nicodemus to understand spiritual truths. So let us first acknowledge that all of John chapter 3 talks about understanding spiritual truths. 
There's surely a lot of things that point to the reality of our regeneration again, but our understanding of spiritual truths is central, as it is the central or the center of the story. Third point, man needs regeneration to understand and believe that full redemption is made possible through Christ. Man needs regeneration to understand and believe that full redemption is made possible through Christ. I hope I'll be as good as last week. I was so happy last week because I was able to preach for 50 minutes. And I look at the YouTube uh, posting and I was like, yes, 59 minutes. But I'm just starting my third point. Um, Jesus continued to show here the need for regeneration in verses 9 to 15. It was not a shift of this, of the conversation. It's like 1 to 8, 9 to 15 has nothing to do with 1 to 8. No, 9 to 15 continues on the theme of unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. It continues. That's where we will be focusing. I just include verses 16 to 21 just to tell us that God in his love desires that those whom Christ died for would be assured of eternal life even now. But in verses 9 to 15, we will see that if one could not understand the redemptive things that happen here on earth are accomplished by the sacrifice of Christ, how much more for the things that are yet to come. The heart of verse 10 to 15 is understanding that the whole salvation is in Christ Jesus. Whole salvation is in Christ Jesus. After hearing the teaching on regeneration, Nicodemus again asked in verse 9, how can these things be? Whether Nicodemus was still thinking about, he cannot get over about the mechanics of regeneration. I don't know. What we know is Jesus focused his answer on the basis of the whole salvation, including regeneration and the rest of redemption. The problem that Jesus raised to Nicodemus is their refusal to believe what they taught about him. They would not believe. Jesus said, we told you things that we know. We bear witness to things that we have seen. And yet, you do not receive our testimony. Now, verses 12 to 15 will continue again the explanation on regeneration. If one could no longer, could not understand the things about redemption, that, sorry, regeneration, again, that happens now. Because if you want, if you experience regeneration, for every one of us who have experienced what it means to be born again, you're not lost when Jesus says you, not, you need to be born again, don't we? But if we talk on these things to people who have not experienced what does it mean to be born again, you will never understand that. And so Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, if the very thing that could have happened to you while you are here on earth, you are lost with it, how much more for the things that will still happen in the consummation? So you see, Jesus continues 
trying to explain to Nicodemus that unless he is born again, not only that he would not understand regeneration, he will never understand consummation. A consummation, oh, by the way, refers to the full completion of the plan. This is Jesus' point when he asked in verse 12. Jesus said in verse 12 to this well-meaning theologian who later on became born again as well. Jesus said in verse 12, If I've told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Surely Jesus had the full redemption in mind when he talked about heavenly things, especially its consummation. But look at the play of word. Heaven tells us that all these things are accomplished by the whole gospel. Summarized in verse 13. Summarized when Jesus said that no one came from heaven, but the one, no one ascended to heaven, but the one who descended from heaven. He clearly was establishing his authority, but look at that. The picture is the whole gospel. Isn't this the whole gospel? That the one who is from heaven came down here on earth to do his work, and after doing his work, he will ascend back to heaven. That Jesus took on humanity, and after he has accomplished his work, he went back to heaven. This is what verse 13 is. But very important to note is his way back to heaven. And that is through the cross. Verses 14 to 15, it reads, And as Moses lifted up, take note of that, lifted up, the serpent in the wilderness, so that the Son of Man may be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. There's a play of words here. He ascended to heaven. He, like the serpent, he was lifted up. In other words, this is Jesus' way of saying, or John's way of saying, as the writer of the book of John, that Jesus' way back to heaven is truly being lifted up in the cross of Calvary. So that we understand, again, Part of what Jesus came here to accomplish redemption is the cross of Calvary. Use the word son of God, which is really a son of man in the book of Daniel. Son of man came down so he would be the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice. So that those who will look to him or believe in him will be saved. Like the Israelites who were bitten by the snakes. And many of them found it crazy. How can I get to be healed by the, you know, by the snake bite from the snake bite just by merely looking at the bronze serpent? And as crazy as it is, because you would want it to be, to be brought to the St. Luke's for sure, or to Ace Hospital here in um, Pateros, you would want it to be brought there. As crazy as it is, those who look to the snake were healed. 
And as crazy as it is that the, the, the scripture is only telling us, look to him or believe in Jesus. As crazy as it may sound to the people who thought that it is too easy, it is not believable. I need to do a thing greater than or more than just looking upon Christ. Those who look upon Christ were saved. This is the gospel. And I want to have a sidebar here because I may have thinking some of us here have not been regenerated. But we understand that God regenerates upon the hearing of the word. And may, as I proclaim to you the gospel, may the Holy Spirit work in your heart. And for the first time, you will find security in the cross of Calvary. No one understand here that you may be, you may have, uh, you may have, Compare yourself to other people. And you may have thought, I, I'm not as, as, as a sinner, as sinful as they are. I, I may, God may, may accept me to heaven. No, no way, because you don't have to be the worst sinner to be a dead sinner. You can be the most decent person and expected in the community, but you are as dead as the criminals. And while you have been listening to the gospel of Christ, that the Son of God, though He is God, took on humanity, came down from heaven so that He will go to the cross and resurrect from the dead so that He will pay for all your sins, all your life, that meant nothing at all. But I pray and I, I pray and I hope that the Holy Spirit might open your hearts and then you realize it's not foolishness. It's the most beautiful thing. I could ever look upon when my sins have been poured upon the Son of Christ and for the first time embrace Christ as your only hope for salvation. That's what we find here. However, if man could not understand everything that comes along with redemption, from regeneration to consummation, how much more? That the whole redemption is accomplished through the humiliation and exhortation of Christ. Jesus said to Nicodemus, Are you the teacher of Israel and you do not understand? What was the proof of Jesus when he said, You do not understand? Not only that Nicodemus, Nicodemus asked, How can these things be? But listen to what Jesus said. Truly, truly, we say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen. And here's the basis why Jesus said, you do not understand. Because Jesus said, but you do not receive. You do not believe our testimony. Yes, Jesus said, whoever believes in him will have eternal life. But if Nicodemus did not understand and believe, though he was already a teacher of the law, then we cannot expect anyone to be able to understand and believe if God would not open his heart. It makes sense now why Jesus said, unless one is born again, he cannot understand. He cannot believe. That's the context of John 3.16. Let us not separate John 3.16 from its context. And the context is telling us even the best theologian could not understand unless he is born again. May the Lord 
quicken our dead hearts. May you suddenly realize the beauty of Christ. May you find yourself humbled that God died, that God took on humanity and died for you in the cross of Calvary. And for us, church, we could only rejoice that God regenerated us or made us alive because we would have continually rejected the gospel even if the gospel was preached Sunday to Sunday to Sunday. And even if you would stay in this church for the longest time or throughout the rest of your life, maybe 20 years or 10 years, listen to this, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. But because we saw Jesus, but because we knew what eternal life is, but because we see signs of life, but because we cannot deny the fact that, that while I am still a sinner, in fact, I have a growing understanding of how worse I am, I cannot deny the fact that there is real sanctification in my life. If we see those things, then rejoice because you have been born again. Because there was no way for it to happen unless we were born again. There was no teacher good enough to make you born again. There is no kind of study deep enough to make you born again. Only the Holy Spirit can make us understand the gospel of Christ. So, back to our big idea. God, through the Holy Spirit, must regenerate those whom Christ died. For if they are to understand and believe the fullness of salvation, that the fullness of redemption is made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. It is all in Jesus. Salvation is so huge. And what, what makes it unbelievable to the unregenerate is this huge salvation is found at the cross. Three important truths that I want us to affirm about regeneration. Regeneration can also be called effectual grace. Or irresistible grace. Many would want effectual grace rather than irresistible grace. But it means one and the same thing. First, regeneration is solely of God because he regenerated dead sinners. How can a dead person co cooperate? No, it was solely of God. Titus 3 verse 5 says, He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. By the washing of regeneration and renewal. And who does the regeneration and the renewal? It is the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we affirm that regeneration is irresistible because God made alive sinners, dead sinners. God made dead sinners spiritually alive. It is irresistible. Everyone whom God wants to make alive, he will make them alive. Ephesians 3, verse 4 to 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive together with Christ. That's why he said, by grace you have been saved. Thirdly, that is the efficacy of regeneration. Thirdly, regeneration is a necessity to faith. 
because it is the only way dead sinners can understand and believe the gospel. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are fully to him, and is not able to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And 1 John chapter 5, verse 1, we have to interpret it rightly. Look at what it says. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. Uh, this has been used to say, you need to believe so you will be born of God. That's not what it says. Everyone who believes, that's a present tense, that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. That's a past perfect tense. Something that happens in the past and is still new today. So which comes first, the present or the past? You have been born again and that's why you believe. So God, through the Holy Spirit, must regenerate those whom Christ died if they are to understand and believe that the fullness of redemption is made possible by the sacrifice of Christ. And while we did not know that we were regenerated then, but simply believe, God wants us to understand what he did there. Because if God just wants to save us and he does not want us to understand what he did there, why is it in the scripture? It's written in the scripture so that later on in our Christian life, this is not a conversation for unbelieving. This is not our conversation when we came to know Christ. It was enough then that we understand that we have sinned against this holy God and Jesus died for our sins and we are called to believe. That's all. But as we grow in our Christian life, God wants us to understand what happened there. That he brought us to life spiritually. So that as Paul said in Ephesians 2 verse 7. So that we might know his immeasurable riches and kindness for us in Christ Jesus. Yes, we simply call people to believe in Christ. But for us who are growing in our understanding of scripture. God is growing our understanding of the truth that all of salvation is in Christ and applied to us through the Holy Spirit so that we will lose all boasting. So that we will lose all form of boasting and grow instead in giving all the glory and praises for our salvation. We are being brought to a deeper understanding of salvation so that in our lives we, ha we see that there is a growth of, in terms of, of practically giving our lives. What does this mean in our daily lives? If all glory belongs to God, then we should draw all attention to God and not to ourselves. This is how we practice humility and faith in our daily lives. See, if this is the posture of our hearts, that we are just drawing all attention to Christ and not to let people see how great we are, then we would not mind displaying the gospel by serving others. And I want to say this, we would not even mind if others treat us like they're slaves. You know what I mean? When we ser serve, it's fine. But then when we begin to feel that those people whom we serve is actually treating us like a slave, it hurts.
It is okay. Because we are drawing others' attention to God and not ourselves. We would not mind this. Or we would not mind because this is how worship God means for all that he has done for us. I mean, I, I am amazed at my pride. You know, I can serve a little, but if I feel like you are now starting to look down on me, I'm shaken. But I am amazed at that because when I think of Christ, when I think of him, who is the son of God, and clearly he was treated like a criminal when he was here. How did it happen that he said, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing? And yes, there are times that we assert the truth. There are times we are called to proclaim the truth. But really, many times we would speak more of the gospel when we are silent. What I mean is when we keep ourselves from speaking a lot because we already know that we are what we are fighting is no longer the truth but our pride. I speak of this church because if there is one thing that is really bad with us reformed is, is when we are so pride, proud and cage stage is a real thing. When we want to destroy everyone who stands in the way. In those times when it is all about pride, we speak more of the gospel when we are able to keep ourselves. We displayed that we have been regenerated, that we have been quickened to life when we can choose humility in a pride-provoking situation. I hope and I pray that as a church, we will not be seen with our arrogance, but with our humility. Regeneration must precede faith, for it is impossible for anyone to understand and believe in the gospel apart from regeneration. We need to have a clear understanding of God's work of regeneration for our salvation to result to the glory of God instead of unknowingly boast of our part on it. Thanks for listening to today's episode of the Cruciform Life Church Podcast. Check out more gospel-centered messages at www.cruciformlifechurch.org or subscribe to this podcast at Spotify.